As we gather this day, I would invite us into a period of silence, perhaps to reflect on all those impacted even this morning by hurricanes, Harvey and Irma, or a devastating earthquake in Mexico, perhaps to reflect on the events in Charlottesville and elsewhere this summer, perhaps to reflect on the events in Washington and New York City and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, 16 years and a day ago, how our world was so deeply impacted. Reflect on those things and other things as the Spirit leads you, your response, our response, as we begin a new year together. Help us to remember, O oh God. Help us to dance with those who celebrate and to weep with those who mourn. Help us to act now with faith and hope in all the places your spirit leads us. Help us to hear your word anew in deep ways and so to be transformed for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus. The first 14 verses of the 12th chapter, let us hear God's word. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt both human beings and animals, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sunday school is back. Welcome back, choir. It's great to have you and our new section leaders and soloists. A big rally day party on the East Avenue lawn will welcome us thanks to the Congregational Fellowship Committee and our wonderful team of sextons. Welcome back to those who have been away and welcome now to those who may be new to us. We are grateful for your presence as well. There are many moving parts to this day, as there will be to this year, and we'd have it no other way. And I will attempt this morning to interweave three themes, incompletely to be sure, with no additional singing, but as a way to get us started. One, rally day and horses on parade. Two, celebrating the 190th anniversary of Third Presbyterian Church. And three, a year of stewardship. The familiar story of the first Passover from the book of Exodus will be our entry point. We have just heard it. It is exceedingly prescribed and extraordinarily solemn, and it should be. Jonathan Sachs, the retired chief rabbi of London, writes that Passover is the oldest and most transformative story of hope ever told. It tells of how an otherwise undistinguished group of slaves found their way to freedom from the greatest and longest-lived empire of their time, indeed of any time. It tells the revolutionary story of how the supreme power intervened in history to liberate the supremely powerless. It is a story of the defeat of probability by the force of possibility. The defeat of probability by the force of possibility. So while the details matter, and they matter a great deal, what seems to matter more is the interpretation at the end of the story. We hear that this day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Remembrance. Celebrate. Generation. That's what we do every Sunday. Those commitments are punctuated on this day when we gather from the places we've been and reconnect to this place, to its vision and its ministry, its relationships, and the faith that undergirds it all. We gather on this rally day, Horses on Parade Sunday, as this congregation, Third Presbyterian Church, begins marking its 190th anniversary. 190 years ago, 
our third church forebears began an experiment at the corner of North Clinton Avenue and Main Street, near where the new Democrat and Chronicle building is located. No history lecture today, and really not many history lectures across the coming year. We will use certain moments in our history to help us to remember and to give thanks and to look ahead to our next 190 years, which also fits the Passover narrative very well. Barry Morgan, the retired Archbishop of Wales, who graced this pulpit just last Sunday, spoke of the Exodus and Passover. The Passover story, he said, wasn't told as a past event, but as a present event. The story is not just about ancestors, but a story about God's continued rescue of God's people. And Rabbi Sachs writes something similar to that. It is the story more than a hundred generations of our ancestors handed on to their children and they to theirs. As we do likewise, millennia later, we know what it is to be the people of history. Sachs writes, guardians of a narrative not engraved in hieroglyphics on the walls of a monumental building, but carried in the minds of living, breathing human beings who for longer than any other have kept faith with the future and the past, bearing witness to the power of the human spirit when it opens itself to a greater power, beckoning us to a world of freedom, responsibility, and human dignity. In that same sense, our sacrament of the Lord's Supper, communion, echoes that very vision. When we gather at this table in just a few moments, we do so not as a memorial of a long-ago moment, but as an ongoing meal in the company of all those who have gone before us, shared with the living Christ, whose spirit abides with us still. And as we celebrate 190 years over these next months, we will think of those saints gathered at Clinton and Maine, then at Temple Street, now at Meg Street and East Avenue, the saints living, breathing brick and mortar, an actual brick and mortar. This church, as both a way station and a launching pad for worship and learning and service for justice and reconciliation and love 190 years past as prelude a song of our god in ages past and our hope for years to come what we will hand on to our children and all the generations to follow which allows us to pivot to our year of stewardship. In a very real sense, Passover is a stewardship story. The grateful gathering of abundant gifts in the community of faith and joyfully offering them back to God. Stewardship is a concept that we will unpack together over the coming months. But perhaps we can share this morning some initial affirmations. 
Stewardship. It is a verb. It is doing, learning, listening, feeling, all tangled together because they can't be separated. Doing is giving, healing, building, planting, feeding, holding, and comforting. But I can't do it without learning new ways of seeing and understanding. I need some new ideas to show me the way to do what needs to be done. I need new eyes to see what needs to be done. I need new ideas to show me what will help. I need to stretch my mind to understand new ways to be. So stewardship is growing and learning, searching for new ways to understand, to walk a mile in the shoes of another, and find new insight into the reality of the other and use that to find new ways to help. It is a quest to grow and learn and see and be. When you hear the word stewardship, perhaps you immediately think of pledging. At third, we have a stewardship committee that runs the stewardship campaign. The committee works to inspire us to pledge as much as we are able and just a little more to keep this wonderful place going. For me, stewardship is about more than pledging. It is about responsibility and opportunity while honoring God. Stewardship is a way of being in the world and with the church. It is doing the best we can with what we have and always striving to know more so we can do better. It is taking care of our church and community so that future generations enjoy what we have and things yet to be imagined. Each day we are given opportunities for stewardship. Perhaps you are a teacher and you nurture other people's children every day. Perhaps you work in business and make decisions that impact our economy and environment. Or maybe you are a lawyer and you work for justice. Or even still, you may work in service positions that maintain and repair people and things. Everything we do comes with the opportunity for stewardship. Teachers helping children be their best selves and to care for one another in our city. Business people considering the economy and well-being of people as they work to make money. Lawyers taking what they see in the courts and working for justice. Service people making daily interactions kind and helpful because you never know the inner struggles of the people you are serving. We have all been given the opportunity to live on this amazing earth and worship together at this incredible church. We have an abundance of riches, but not always an abundance of wealth. Our riches and wealth are gifts from God. Stewardship requires us to determine what riches and means we have and to share them with the church and community so that our children's children will be able to stand in this room with future congregations 
and feel the love God has for us. Walter Brueggemann, an important figure in modern progressive Christianity, is both an influential Old Testament scholar and a theologian. In his extensive writings, Brueggemann argues that the church must present a counter-narrative to the dominant forces of consumerism, militarism, and nationalism. He addresses consumerism, asserting that the conflict between the narratives of abundance and of scarcity is the defining problem confronting us in this era. It is a conflict between the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity, which in turn makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. I should insert here that I, know, I do not know any third churcher who is mean, greedy, or unneighborly. Excuse me, Brueggemann helps coalesce my thinking around the topic of stewardship. As he observes, our consumer culture tells us not to care about anyone but ourselves. He adds, wouldn't it be wonderful if liberal and conservative church people who love to quarrel with each other came to a common realization that the real issue confronting us is whether the news of God's abundance can be trusted in the face of the story of scarcity. We all should, I believe, as thoughtful members of this congregation, give financially to the ministries of this church as generously as befits our means. We are part of an institution doing good and seeking to do ever more good in this community and in the, world, in the, in the larger world. We all want Third Church to do more than survive. We want it to thrive. For this to happen, we must act as true stewards, both through our dollar contributions and in what abundance we as talented, thoughtful individuals can provide through action. We need to be involved. So my message today is do whatever you can. Be a good steward of the abundance we share. Share not only whatever monetary resources are available to you, but share also your own personal abundance of energy and talent and time. If these things are your habit, the Lord's blessings to you. And please continue. If not, what better time than this year of stewardship to become involved in a multifaceted way? I wonder what are the odds of three persons being ready to speak about stewardship on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and that one of them is an elder, one's a deacon, and one's a trustee. Who knew? <laughs> we will spend these coming months exploring what Nancy and Katie and Greg have articulated so well. Our shared and many faceted call as stewards as caretakers of and investors in every good gift God has given us. In her beautiful poem, The Summer Day, Mary Oliver asks, tell me, what is it you plan to do 
with your one wild and precious life? It's a stewardship question. What do we stewards plan to do with our lives, our wild and precious lives and every other abundant gift God gives us? Our time, our energy, our vision, our relationships, our love, our faith, our 190 years of history, and yes, absolutely, our money. What do we plan to do? What do we plan to do? Let us pray. God, whose giving knows no ending, gifted by you, we turn to you, offering up ourselves in praise. Thankful song shall rise forever, gracious donor of our days. Amen.